Good evening, God's beautiful people. You all right? Um, it's well, I could have said it's, it's a bit sad, really, but um, we're having a bit of a celebration for uh, getting rid of. I mean, moving on, <laughs> moving on of uh, Mark and Andrew, but. You know, I'm sure they're going to have a fantastic time. We'll miss them, but we'll be, you know, up, they'll be in our prayers. Um, it's just a bit of a safety thing. Um, anybody who's not been here before, um, what we've got, we've got the toilets at the back, uh, to the right there, disabled toilets. We've got exits here, here, and here. <laughs> and, and if we're going to crash... Just put your head between your legs and you're in the right place to pray. <laughs> anyway, enough for me. I'll, I'll waffle on. Uh, I'm just going to say a quick prayer. It's, um, it's a bit quiet. Lord, we are not brave, preferring to sit, in safe, sit safely. With things we know and understand, you want all and we hold back. Scared of losing control of our small and comfortable life. Lord, give us the grace to face our doubts, to stand established in your love, to endure our present pain, to look at you, our unshakable God, intent on you and you alone. Thank you. Amen. Amen. I'm going to leave you to Jane Wilde. Good evening, evening. and a particular welcome to Mark and Rachel and Sarah and Andrew. Um, It's a welcome and a goodbye, isn't it? (laughs) Go on. No, you've you've told us you're going to hold us here for quite a long time. You can't go now. (laughs) Um, This evening's service is a celebration of some of the things that we have shared with you over the years And you will have opportunity during the service to share some of your thoughts with us and some of a reading and um, a hymn. And we rejoice that we have that opportunity and we pray for a good farewell on this occasion and safe journeying. The service um, will try to keep flowing vaguely announced. but if there's a hymn comes up and it isn't announced, that's the one we're singing next. <laughs> uh, there are far too many people taking part in this service to, um, to name, but I would just to start, like to start by thanking everybody who has contributed to it and practised and chosen things. So thank you. And we take a moment as we hear a prayer and have in the form of music from the um, Preston Methodist Voices, um, the presence of God with us.
Let's pray together. Father God, we come here on this evening to worship and to praise you, our great God. We come with mixed emotions, thankfulness for two people who've served you well here and in the rest of the circuit, but also sadness at saying goodbye. But you are the God of the past, the present and the future. And we praise your holy name that you are with us wherever we are, whatever we're doing. You are our God. So bless us now as we sing your praise, as we worship you, as we listen, as we hear your voice. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord.
his strength will lead us. We sing together, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. My chains have gone, I've been set free.
called us here below will be forever ours. We sing together, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. <coughs>
The first reading is written in the 13th chapter of Luke's Gospel, reading verses 18 and 19. It's the parable of the mustard seed. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Amen. One of the interesting things about life as a minister is that it divides your life into chunks of time. And different time is spent at different places and with different people. And that means as I I get older and find it a bit harder to remember when things happened, at least I have an idea about where they might have happened in a time, a chunk of time. Was it Birmingham, Bucky, Kendall? And now I have the Bamber Bridge years. And I've been looking back over these last five years and just reflecting a little bit on things that have happened in Sarah and mine's life, um, in the church, in the world, things that have taken place. So just a few of those things. While we've been here, Sarah and I both celebrated our 50th birthdays and our 30th wedding anniversary, and we don't look nearly old enough for that to happen. <laughs> we've both taken up running and we've both managed half marathons. Thank you. On a less cheerful note, the Brexit vote took place, (laughs) with all the repercussions for our country and the uncertainty that has brought about. Within our circuit, our circuit review, following Jesus' loving communities, has taken place, and we've seen many changes in circuit and staffing in ministry. I think last September, I was the only presbyter out of the circuit that didn't have a change of church or appointment. During our time here, Sarah, have had two fantastic visits to the Church of South India and the wonderful Net School out there. And just three weeks ago, our eldest son Samuel got engaged to his girlfriend Kat, and he asked his brother Joseph to be his best man, so we have something lovely to look forward to next year. So what of all that, in light of that reading that I chose for tonight? I chose a parable one of Jesus' wonderful stories with a meaning that we can reflect on and seek to interpret. I also chose the kingdom parable, because for me, sharing in the work and ministry and life of Christ is about seeking to build his kingdom. And I don't see the kingdom of God as simply something for the future. I think it's about doing what I can now to bring about God's kingdom into this world at this time in this place. And so here in the parable, Jesus speaks of tiny seeds that grow into great trees, small things with great potential. I like that. (laughs) He speaks about a tree that becomes a place of safety and shelter. He speaks to me of hospitality and a place where all are welcome. So three brief reflections in light of some of the things that have happened during my time here. The first thing I want to say is that two of those things I mentioned have had a deep impact on me. Our visits to India 
and Brexit. The two may seem unrelated, and yet for me, those two things have reflected on each other and impacted on each other. Going to India has been life-changing for me, and I'm so grateful for the circuit, for my churches, for allowing Sarah and I two opportunities of time to go out and share with those wonderful folk. I encountered in India such great depth of poverty, and yet such joy and such true Christian living. And my visits out there made me reassess my priorities, thinking about what's really important and truly important, reflecting on what it means to live in a world where there is such great inequality. And then alongside that, there's been Brexit, which seems to have almost encouraged division and intolerance. So many of the conversations that I seem to hear about Brexit are about what's best for me as an individual, not about what's best for us as a community or for us as part of a wider world. And all of that has left me feeling very uncomfortable. And it challenges me. It challenges me to think about what it means to live in a way that promotes the values of God's kingdom. That's about supporting people in different parts of the world. It's about speaking up for those in need in our own communities. Some of those issues seem to be ignored in the debates about Brexit. The tree in Jesus' parable, I believe, was open to all who chose to go and nest in its branches. Jesus lived a life of inclusivity and welcome, and we're called to do the same. The intolerance I see in some of the conversations in our country and the injustice that I saw in India have changed me and deepened that desire within me to work hard for justice and equality, for respect and embracing difference. We all struggle with these issues, but we have a choice about how we respond, how we work for the kingdom of God in the midst of all that's going on. May each of us reflect on how we can respond to the challenges in our world and the values of God's kingdom. (coughs) Second thing I just want to reflect on briefly has been an important theme for us as a circuit over these last years, and that's following Jesus, loving communities. A review that made us all take a long, hard look at our churches and what was going on within them, and how we were responding to our communities and using our resources in the best way that we could. We've reflected on what we need to let go of and what the mission opportunities are around us. In the light of that parable, I suppose, which trees have fulfilled their purposes and reached the end of their fruiting lives? And where do we need to plant new trees in their place and nurture for future mission and ministry? And for some, that's been a really painful process. And it's been hard to lay things down. And if we're honest, I suspect that struggle still continues. For others, there's been an embracing of some of these new things, these new opportunities, these new ways of mission. And we see churches committed to working together, exciting lay work in pastoral and youth work, new patterns of worship. And just very briefly want to mention, I've picked out three or a bit more than three, signs of God's kingdom, which I just want to share. The first is from Trinity Gregson Lane, where over the last years we've been uh, encouraged and unable to do some team-themed preaching together. 
It's meant that we've engaged with the Bible in new and exciting ways. It's meant that we've been able to encourage discipleship and have some continuity in our worship. We've done something new, something different to enable the work of God's kingdom. Somebody said to me, but what you're doing at Trinity Gregson Lane isn't traditional Methodism. My first response was, well, praise the Lord for that. (laughs) But actually, when I thought about it, it thought, well, it all depends what we think of as traditional Methodism. Because if we go right back to the beginnings of Methodism, then it was about discipleship. It was about Christian living. It was about engaging with the scripture. It was about worshipping in new and risky and exciting ways. I think that's exactly the kingdom work that's been going on at Trinity Gregson Lane. And then an example from here, and it's to do with messy church, and it's to do with baptisms. I had the privilege, I think, of doing the first messy church baptism here at Bamber Bridge two or three years ago, and we've done a number of baptisms in messy church since then. It's been a, a, a learning for me of recognising that for those families at messy church, that's church. That's their congregation. That's their church family. Why should we say to them, well, if you want a baptism, you've got to come on a Sunday, because that's proper church. That's not what it's about. And I've seen us pushing the boundaries at Message Church of what discipleship is, how we engage families, how we nurture their spiritual growth and development. It's different, but it's the work of God's kingdom, and it's been a privilege to be involved with it here. And the third thing I just wanted to share was about Cuerden Church School Next Door, which is a joy and a privilege and has been over these last five years. When I've been in to speak and do assemblies there, I've spoken to more people than even I am doing here tonight, because I don't think there's probably 200 of us here tonight. That's a privilege, isn't it? And on Friday, I was able to present Bibles to all the year six pupils who were moving on um, through a charitable trust called the Lord Wharton Bible Trust. Um, and I gave each year six pupil a good news Bible to take away with them and to use. And I did that knowing that already those children have a really good knowledge of what's in the Bible. I've never come across a school where the children had such a great Bible knowledge during their time at school. That's a joy for us as a circuit. They actually gave me, well, they gave me two things. They gave me a Star Baker apron, which I haven't worn tonight. Um, <laughs> but they gave me a card. Sarah, can you just bring up the, it's in the back there. I just wanted to read you one or two of the comments that I, I received. It's got lots of cakes on. I've taken cakes in for the staff, that's why. But anyway, (laughs) if I'm ever feeling down, I'm going to read this because Logan says, Andrew, thank you for being the best minister in the world. (laughs) Sorry to the other ministers present. Okay. Okay, just one or two other comments that have been made. Beth says, thank you for great worships. They always make me think about God. Libby says, I always enjoy when you lead our worship because they always inspire me to be a better person. And Chad said, your assemblies have been brilliant at showing how powerful and loving the Lord is. If we have any questions about our school's work, hopefully you realise they're young people of eight or nine, that was about year five, year four or five, They're on a journey of discipleship. That's what following Jesus' loving communities is at at the heart of that. Be encouraged by the work that goes on in our schools because that's kingdom work. It doesn't always have to be on a Sunday. It takes place there during the week. And then around the circuit, I've had the privilege of sharing with churches exploring their future, 
stepping out in faith, finding new ways of being church. I've been part of space, especially pray and play, which is about my level sort of thing. <laughs> finding God in new and creative ways. Had the privilege of going to Three Generate twice and being inspired and encouraged by our young people and their enthusiasm and faith. Signs of God's kingdom all around us. Earlier in the week, we met to review following Jesus' loving community as a group of us from across the circuit. At that meeting, there was so much encouragement at the things that were happening and a recognition there's a lot still to do. Keep up the good work. Don't lose your nerve in making the changes that need to happen. And as you continue God's work, be open to what the mission is in it. Church buildings like trees may not be designed to last forever. What are the trees that need to be nurtured and encouraged? Where are the places of welcome and hospitality that we need to develop? Where's the potential for growth? Where can we build God's kingdom? And then thirdly, and very briefly, I just want to thank you for the privilege of us being able to journey together, both in my churches and in the school, in the circuit staff and leadership teams, and in the wider circuit. I've had the joy and privilege of sharing with so many deeply committed and godly individuals. I've been inspired and encouraged by you, and it's been good to share faith and friendship. Sarah and I thank God for this chapter in our lives and for all of you who have been part of it. We now move to a new place, and as Sarah would remind you, it is, of course, God's own county of Yorkshire. (laughs) And we'll need to get involved in what God is doing. Yeah, God is at work in Yorkshire, um, in the Skipton and Grassington circuits. I pray that you will also be able to continue in the work that God has called each and every one of you to. Be those people of potential. Allow God to grow in you and through you. Be part of building communities of welcome, acceptance and safety. And share God's life-changing love with all those around you with whom you encounter. Those of you with good memories will know that the hymn I chose at my welcome service is the same hymn that I've chosen for today. Because it still speaks to me of God's call on our lives. To live as those who are willing to build the kingdom of God. We're going to sing here the call of the kingdom.
Our second reading is taken from the Gospel according to St. John, reading chapter 15, verses 1 to 12, the vine and the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Amen. Evening, everybody. Right, first of all, yes, I am eligible to wear it. My mother's maiden name was Heggy, that's a Scottish uh, uh, surname uh, from Invernessia. I can technically wear the Macintosh clan tartan, which is good news because that's waterproof. <laughs> this is not Macintosh clan tartan, I think this is technically called picnic rug. And tomorrow we'll be returned to the fancy dress shop <laughs> at the end of my road. Um, the other question, mind your own business, a man has to keep some mystery. <laughs> and as to what's in my sporran, my glasses are in here, which will be helpful in a moment because, um, Andrew, I've been here a long time and I'm getting old and look, I now have to wear spectacles. Um, and my mobile phone is in there as well, everybody, but don't worry, I've turned that to vibrate, so everything's fine. <laughs> I'm going to pray. Let's pray together. <laughs> Great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, your words in our words, your thoughts in our minds, your love in our hearts, and your life in our lives, now and always. Amen. Amen. Um, 
There is no way that I can do justice to 13 years of uh, mission and ministry and worship in what was two circuits, South Ribble and then the Preston Ribble circuit, um, having had pastoral charge of seven churches in that period of time, uh, superintendency in the last six years, school governorship, which is nothing but a joy and a privilege, uh, community projects, who remembers grassroots here at Bamberbridge, comedy nights, interfaith work, mission trips, uh, so genuinely just some kind of wa- random wandering through over and around all of that is what I intend to do. Um, churches and circuit. First, it's uh, right and proper for me, and I, I want to do this, to thank and to honour all of those loyal and committed volunteers who enable Methodist churches and circuit to be what they are. Methodist Church thrives on loyal, committed, faithful volunteers. And many of you are those people. I worry sometimes that you're overcommitted and that we take advantage of you. But thank you for all that you are and all that you do, for all that you're not and all that you don't, for all your time and your company. Um, hear that from me. Why are Methodist churches like helicopters? Got to watch out for the rotors. Uh, loyalty commitment uh, can be both a strength and a weakness and, and this is a genuine kind of little warning just beware of entitlement and possession everybody because these things strangle churches catch yourself when you talk about my church it doesn't belong to you or I does it we belong to church it doesn't belong to us it's the body of Christ not mine uh, my minister and all those kind of things just, just be careful is a warning. But well done, everybody. Um, I wanted to say something about spirit. I called it spiritual accompaniment. And then in brackets, I wrote down a better term, I think, than pastoral care um, for what I've been about when I've been walking alongside people. Um, and that might be something that you uh, want to think about spiritual accompaniment. Um, because I'm looking out and I can see people in this room and there are people across the circuit too. Um, in my ministry, I've walked with individuals and families. Uh, I've accompanied you things like, through things like ill health and end-of-life care uh, and bereavement, relationship difficulties and breakdown, loss of work and job, church disputes, family disputes, vocational exploration, healing of memories, and even for one or two, leading people to or back to Christ. I mean, all of that has been part of uh, various times, the 13 years I've been in and around these churches and this circuit. Uh, Learning to listen to and reflect with you, being present to and with you, and whatever it is that we are holding together in prayer. I remember early on in my my time, I was somewhere at somebody's house um, in Gregson Lane, um, and they'd been coming to the church for a while and uh, were interested in it. The truth was that they came to church because they wanted their children to go to a church school. I think it's good, to be honest. And invited me round. And I went round to the house and uh, they'd become interested in faith. Um, and I remember sitting with them and we had a conversation about prayer and how you pray. I'll talk about how you pray again in a moment. Um, and I said, well, shall we do that now? Shall, shall I pray with you? Oh, yes, they said, let's do that. Um, and I did the thing that I do, which is I tend to start prayers with a little quietness, a little silence, um, because I'm trying to be found in God's presence. I'm trying to center myself, however you want to put that. So I was sat there in this kind of profound, deep silence, searching for the right words to say. And then one of them went, have you started yet? (laughs) 
and that was a story from early on. Here's, here's some good news at the end of my time uh, as uh, superintendent and as uh, a presbyter in the circuit. Uh, where I'm ending my time here with five or six candidates for ordained ministry in this circuit. I mean, wow, what a great way to end. Let me say that. What a great way to end in your last circuit meeting to have to give over an hour for people to share their call to ministry and squidge the business into about 25 minutes. Well, don't everybody remember that? We can do that. We can do that, Jane. Remember that. <laughs> um, people are interested in how come there are so many candidates in this circuit this year. Um, because, as you'll know, there's a shortage of ministers, um, or allegedly a shortage of ministers uh, in the connection, um, and there are fewer and fewer candidates each year uh, coming through into training. So I've been thinking about that. I wondered how it happened that we... Uh, created some kind of space or energy or something. What happened for that to, to be our case? Um, Andrew's already talked about following Jesus, loving communities, and the two golden threads in there, one is about partnership. You can't do this thing on your own anymore, everybody. We're just not as strong as we once were. Uh, the uh, Secretary of Conference reminding us, um, we used to be a million strong as Methodists in the UK. Um, we're less than 300,000 now. We're just not what we were, are we? That's the truth of the matter. So there's something about partnership in there. Oh, that'll be somebody to partner with. If I was doing the comedy night, you'd be in trouble now. Um, But the other golden thread is about laying down. Uh, In order to try and create space for the new thing God might be doing amongst us. I think that's what it says, doesn't it? Something like that in the strategy. Um, And I just wonder if that's what's happened in terms of candidating, people exploring their vocation. So following our uh, strategy... Um, some of us have laid down, for example, some services, haven't we? There's less evening worship in the circuit. I know that, that for some of us that's a real difficulty. Um, and I come to certain places and I have the same conversation over and over again about that. But we've laid down some worship. We've taken up some worship midweek, but we have laid down some worship. Some of us are worshipping together, which means that there's not as much worship uh, in the church that we feel we belong to as there used to be. Um, And we laid down some ordained ministry in this circuit. We didn't go into stationing a couple of years ago, do you remember? Two ministers, uh, well, John Fisher retired and Sue Crichton moved uh, down south. And we didn't uh, go into stationing for more ordained ministry. Um, And now we have fantastic people like Nikki and Denise and uh, uh, Sarah and so forth working uh, with us and Darren. And I just wonder if either God honoured that, and I ask that as a question, I just wonder if either God honoured that or if somehow that created the space in which some people could begin to hear and explore a call of God in their lives. Because we are very busy people, Methodists, aren't we? And if we don't lay some sussa down, how on earth will God have room to do anything with us? So it's a great way to end with six, five or six candidates exploring their call to ministry. Um, And it might be worth just wondering how something like that's happened in this day and age in the Methodist Church. Um, For me, most significant areas of ministry in local churches and circuit, um, all those things that we have begun to do together and have done together around intentional discipleship, to echo um, what Andrew has been saying. Who remembers in Bama Bridge, D-I-S-C-I-pleship? Do you remember that? Yeah, I loved it. That response was about the response I got most Sunday mornings. Um, for us to be intentional about our discipleship. In the Methodist Church, we count attendance um, at each year and we send those numbers off, don't we? We're interested in attendance and we're interested in members. 
Um, to intentionally shift our attention perhaps to making disciples may matter more, mightn't it, than counting some people. Intentional discipleship, best examples of that that I have been involved in. And I know there are more examples around the circuit than this. But I just want to recognise the work of the Spiritual Growth Group uh, at Ashton, which I inherited from Peter Lumsden, um, and the journey that we went on together over the years that I was at Ashton. The depth of that journey at times was remarkable, I think. Um, and I grew in that. Um, we were intentionally, uh, intentionally doing some God reading and God talk together. That's what we did. So we would choose a spiritual book to read and we let a chapter uh, every other week lead us in our conversation, reclaiming an old Methodist practice of intentionally talking with one another about who God is and what God's up to in our lives and God's world. And the school of prayer that we've run at Space And one of the things we spotted in following Jesus' loving communities was there's a genuine hunger amongst people in the circuit um, to develop their spirituality. When people say, when I go to church on a Sunday morning, um, if I'm not on a rotor, I always get landed with a job. And so I go somewhere else for my spirituality. What an indictment of us. So note, again, to create space for us to begin to explore that together and pay attention to it. Um, I can't remember what it was. During my time here, the Lancashire District had a year of prayer. Do you remember that, everybody? We had a year of prayer, a year of the Bible, a year of evangelism. And I realised in that year of prayer that I'd been in the Methodist Church for around about 40 years, maybe a little more, a little less, and nobody in all that time had taught me how to pray. It's kind of just assumed that, what, I pick it up by osmosis? I think if I'm honest, I could probably remember a Sunday school lesson about the Lord's Prayer. But beyond that, nobody taught me how to pray. Um, so I began to learn. Um, and the Jesuits were really helpful, and the Quakers were really helpful, and some charismatics were really helpful. Um, and out of that came, for some of us, a deliberate intention how to pray and to get deeper into our prayer life together. I think that really mattered for some of us. Um, and for me, it was one of the most important things that I did. Um, other things, the Emmaus Bible study that we've been involved with in Penwith in this last year. Um, I could tell stories of there, but um, I've got to keep my eye on the time. I'm told I've got 10 minutes. I'm arguing I've got at least one minute a year. That's at least 13. And this is my last appointment. What are you going to do? I'm still the superintendent. Although there is a fine line between a preacher and a congregation and a hostage situation sometimes. And I'll, I will watch that. Um, and for me, and, and, and this is one of the kind of reflections in that, I think there is a shift um, in church and in Christian religion in the West from, orthopraxis, uh, from orthodoxy, so believing the right things, nothing wrong with that, to orthopraxis, doing the right things. You believe that, that's all well and good. What difference does it make? And I think for our witness and mission and evangelism in the world that you and I now inhabit, the praxis is actually more important than the doxy. Putting it into practice. So what difference does it make to you that you believe in Jesus? How does prayer make your life better? That's what people are interested in the world now. Not whether you believe the right thing or not. But how does that make you and your life better? How does that uphold you? How could I explore that? Um, I've spent time handling difficulty and disputes amongst us. Um, I'm saying that's some of the most significant ministry that I've done. Um, I've done that to the best of my ability. I know that I've not managed to hold everybody in every place, uh, but I've tried to do that to my best of my ability. I've learned lots um, about being a minister in all of that. Uh, do remember how we as a circuit have held conversations 
if you find yourself in one of those marriage and relationships forums in the next 12 months. Um, Because we in this circuit have managed to hold those conversations well. We've managed to do that well. We've managed to find a way of practicing what the Methodist Church is calling living with contradictory convictions. Um, And if we can hold that culture together, um, we should be all right in the next 12 months as we explore something very significant for the connection. Remember that Jesus called Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector both to be disciples in the same group. Simon the Zealot, about the Romans, you stab as many as you can. Matthew the tax collector, you collude with them and make as much money out of you can. One was a freedom fighter, in brackets, terrorist, and the other was a colluder. Jesus thought it was a good idea to have them both together in the same group. That's what living with contradictory convictions means. It means being a group of disciples like Jesus put together. Um, I want to honour uh, my colleagues, Leigh and Ordained, those who are part of the ministry team uh, and the leadership team, um, and just say that you have all been fabulous and great and fantastic, and I've sent you an email to tell you that, um, and that stretches back across the 13 years that I've been in the circuit. Um, one of the great things about what I inherited as superintendent and the two circuits I've been a part of, again, is that the culture for ministry um, is really healthy and helpful. It's supportive. One of the things I will miss when I become a chair of district in Scotland and Shetland is my fortnightly colleagues, because I won't have that. Uh, My colleagues will be spread around a nation and on some islands, Um, and some of them I only see four times a year, let alone every fortnight. I will miss that, Um, and I've been really pleased to be part of that, Uh, and I honour both the ministry team and the leadership team. Um, Just a brief mention around some district stuff. Um, I was part of the district safeguarding group for several years. um, And it's been really good to see safeguarding begin to become the culture of the church rather than that thing that's imposed upon us. How we create safer spaces, welcome for all, really matters, doesn't it, everybody? Um, I've offered the Growing Through Conflict training. That was really interesting. I had an epiphany uh, when I did the Growing Through Conflict training, and I've told that story. I won't tell it now, but it's the one about where I wanted to swear at the man in the park about the dogs that were fighting. Um, And my epiphany was, you you don't have to escalate it, Mark. You can de-escalate it. Which for me is quite a thing, because, you know, I like to walk into conflict and sort it out. Not everybody does. And what was interesting about about offering the training around the district was that lots of people were saying we need help with conflict in the church. And when we put the training on, hardly anybody came, (laughs) which is interesting, isn't it? So if you see the growing through training conflict, do make the most of it because it's actually really helpful. And I've acted on part of the district in conflict and and, uh, reconciliation in other parts of the district. And and I just want to reflect back this. that my experience is that usually when we ask somebody to step in and help with a conflict, it's too late. By the time um, somebody else in the district comes to help, people are already entrenched. Uh, one of the lessons on the Growing Through Conflict training is ask for help early. So I just reflect that back to us. Um, and then the thing that's mattered most to me uh, about being part of the district has been my trips to Sierra Leone. I have my own history with South India. Thank you for um, flagging that up. Um, I just want to tell, I could tell loads of stories, John Spencer, but uh, this is my experience of Sierra Leone. I mean, I went, not like this, obviously. <laughs> Too hot. But I sat in the, 
the bishop's office in Freetown with Mr. John Spencer. And uh, this is how we were introduced to the, the bishop and all his, all his staff, all the heads of his department for the Methodist Church in Sierra Leone. This is Mr. John Spencer from Lancashire. <laughs> and this is his friend so-and-so. <laughs> in the room! <laughs> um, and when you walk through Kailan behind John Spencer, as I have done... All you hear is, John Spencer's here, John Spencer's here, John Spencer's here. Because <laughs> when John Spencer turns up, things get better. Um, and I have seen, putting John Spencer to one side, uh, and some of you are in the room, I have seen people grow two years in their faith in two weeks. And I want to uh, remind you of the importance of mission somewhere else and ministry somewhere else, and taking yourself out of your context, the opening prayer, Linton, about getting us out of our comfort zone, and being put somewhere else, you will grow and learn so much if you can dare to do that. And people in this room have done that, and I'm very proud of you, and I was really privileged to be part of that kind of growth and see that. I'll come back to Sierra Leone before I finish, because once I move, that's it. It belongs to Lancashire, not Scotland. Beyond Church, uh, the Radio Lancashire rang me up this morning. I don't know if you heard me on the radio this morning, uh, because I was leaving. And uh, I, I just want to celebrate um, that opportunity. Every time that I've been on the radio, um, I've addressed more than 20,000 people each time. Now, I don't, that doesn't usually happen. I mean, we're a good congregation tonight. Um, but the opportunity to speak on behalf of the Methodist Church, to try and say something of the gospel um, to the county, uh, to tell the stories uh, from Sierra Leone, you know, they let us make an hour-long programme about our experience in Sierra Leone. Um, I don't know who I hand that on to, although they quite like you, Ray Borg. So I'm just plugging that up. Um, I want to mention the interfaith dialogue on trips. And uh, at some point in the circuit, uh, you might want to need to think about what happens with interfaith. Uh, people like Neville and Mary are here who go along to the dialogue every month. Um, and to remind us that... Um, Two, three years ago, the English Defence League were protesting in Preston one weekend. And the same weekend, the Interfaith Forum in Preston was taking Preston aid to the refugee camps in Calais and Dunkirk. And on reflection, that seemed to me the best response to EDL ever, that we would do that. Um, and the opportunities um, working together with faiths, our first uh, golden thread partnership, may still be there. For us. Um, local preachers, let me say to you that in the interfaith dialogue, uh, which I attended several years every month, I found myself having to be much more articulate about my Christian faith and beliefs than if I hang around in the church alone. Because I'm talking to other people of other faiths who are equally articulate about what they believe and why. And there's a real opportunity for us to develop that sense of sharing what we believe in and why. Um, I'm trying to remember, it's the first Thursday in the month at uh, the Quaker Meeting House on St George's Road, 7.30pm. Um, one of my favourite memories was when we ran comedy nights here in Bamber Bridge. I could, there's loads of stories, I won't tell you any. Um, <laughs> all right, I might tell one or two. Um, I really enjoyed the comedy nights, really, really enjoyed the comedy nights. Um, I have one regret... I could only think of one regret from my 13 years, and it is this. Um, having run the comedy nights for five years and then got to the end of that piece of work, um, 
and uh, Nick and uh, one or two of the others of us, we were down in the Kong Club, or one of the, the, the clubs in Bamber Bridge. Um, it became apparent, uh, what's, the, what's the one on School Lane, the Working Men's Club on School Lane? Thank you. It became apparent that there were a group of people in that club who were asking me, would you come, Mark, on a Sunday night and talk to us about God and stuff? We'd really like that. What they wanted was, they said, come after worship, come and sit with us and we'll talk about faith together. And two things happened that meant that didn't happen. Um, One was, I had a conversation in the church and I said, look, I've been asked to do this. And actually, what I'd rather do is not do the Sunday evening worship. I'd just rather go and, I'd rather go and talk to them than turn up having done, you know, I'd be shattered. I'd rather go and do that. And, uh, and there was a conversation about whether that was the right thing to do or not. And the other thing that happened was I became superintendent. Look out, Jane. <laughs> and so I moved. Um, and reflecting back, I realised that was an opportunity that I missed. People in the community wanted to talk about God and I couldn't make the time for it. That's my one regret, I think, in this last 13 years, that I could have done that. I could have done that. But at that point, we weren't wrestling with laying things down and letting some things go to see what emerged. Some lasting memories. How am I doing on time? And do we feel like a hostage yet? Yeah. I thought so. I'm nearly done. Lasting memories, the weight and significance in disagreements over sexuality, relationships and leadership. Watching a professional stand-up comedian leading local preachers' training evening, absolutely golden. (laughs) Marcus from Germany's story on pilgrimage. I've told that, some of you might remember that story. I was born again, he said. Interestingly, also, a different Marcus from Iraq's story in the Dunkirk refugee camp. I wanted to get to England. Uh, Sierra Leone, the smoking IED crater outside the youth training centre, the Red House, where the rebel army took people uh, effectively to kill them. An evening as an illegal immigrant in Guinea. The Ebola gravesite. Oh, it's got me right there. John Spencer in his pants in our shared room in the YMCA in Freetown. <laughs> Never get that image out of my head either. <laughs> Whiskey tasting with Marion Derbyshire here in Bamboo Bridge. Come round for special home communion. <laughs> she used to say. And finally, before I read two points, some of the important lessons I've learned in the 13 years I've been with you. First one, and the most important lesson is this. God loves and accepts me just as I am. I cannot tell you how wonderful and liberating and restful that is to know. It took me 40 years. I turned 40 while I was here. I'm turning 50 next year in Scotland. Um, God loves and accepts me just as I am. Rest in that. Know that. Contemplate it until it makes you, you. And that's okay. Do you know what? I'm all right, me. And that's a good place to start every day, isn't it? It took me 40 years to learn that. Learning to breathe, by which I mean pray. And I won't do that sermon again. Um, But that whole thing about Father, Jesus, 
spirit. Meaning that if I pay attention to it, I can pray without ceasing. Because I breathe all the time, don't I? I hope so. Learning to lay down and let go. If you've heard it, that's the story of the anger stick on pilgrimage last year, everybody. By invitation, we can lay it down and let it go and leave it behind. Allowing the biblical and especially the gospel stories to shape us, to reshape us, to reform us, to retell our own stories in their own way. For example, a story of decline in the church in the light of the vine and branches piece of work. What if what's happening to us is that God is pruning the vine in order that it might bear more fruit? It's God's church after all, isn't it? That faith is always more questions than answers. Otherwise, of course, it would be called fact, and it isn't called that. Um, And if you want to know what that stems from, just read the Gospels and note how many times Jesus responds to a question with a question. Rabbi, why do you always respond to a question with a question? Hmm, why shouldn't I respond to a question with a question? (laughs) Um, Here's two questions I've been asking this year. Everybody from Penwitham and Kingsfold, where is God? God is? Who's God with? God's with? The rediscovery or maybe recovery of wisdom for us. Wisdom over law and prophecy and doctrine. Notice that's the development of it in the biblical narrative. Um, So wisdom like this has mattered to me enormously in the last few years. Now, now is the eternal moment. Because eternal life doesn't start then because it's eternal. It just is, isn't it? This, and I love saying it because there's always a wave of disappointment. This is it. We are living eternal life now. Oh, I thought it'd be more. <laughs> Things like this. You can join in anytime you like. It's not what matters. It all matters. But what matters most? You don't put new wine into old wineskins. Because that can lead to the loss of both. Do you see why we need to let some new thing emerge? Put some old stuff down? Jesus tells us to do that. Yearning for a new way will not produce it. Only ending the old way can do that. That's where we're at, I think, in many places. And then, it is my experience that ministry thrives and survives on bucket loads of grace that God pours out every moment. And as we've explored in people's vocational journey, my not being up to the task, my lack of, my less than, that's what makes room for God to be God in and through me. That's why it's good news. God forgives it and then transforms it. And that's why, even though it's a little scary, I dare go to Scotland and Shetland and try to become this thing called a chair. How else could I do that? How else could I dare to do that? Other than my lack of being up to it makes plenty of room for God to be God. Bucket loads of grace every moment. 
So I'm going to read two poems, and then I'm going to sit down. William Stafford wrote this poem, The Way It Is. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread. But it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you cannot get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the threat. And finally, this poem is by Wendell Berry. He's a poet and a wilderness guide. Um, It is what I read when I leave. It's called A Warning to My Readers. Do not think me gentle because I speak in praise of gentleness or elegant because I honour the grace that keeps this world. I am a man crude as any, gross of speech, intolerant, stubborn, angry, full of fits and furies. That I may have spoken well at times is not natural. A wonder is what it is. Thank you. Oh, I've got a hymn to sing, haven't I? We're going to stand and sing the hymn that I've chosen.
You have both challenged us with your words. You have spoken from your hearts. And as you were reading and speaking, the words at the end of Matthew 28 came into my mind. You have done this here, and you go and do it in new places. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. But most importantly, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. You will be in our hearts to the end of the age, and our prayers go with you as you take God's inspiration and vocation with you to new places and new times. God says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. For those who don't know me, My name's John Spencer. <laughs> I'm thinking of changing it. Where do I begin? That's a song, isn't it? No, we won't sing that either. I remember having a conversation with Andrew. Um, actually, I think it was about stationing. And he said, don't worry, I'm always last. Being uh, My surname begins with W. So I thought, well, let's change it round. Let's go for Andrew. So just a, a few words of uh, thanks uh, to Andrew, first of all. Andrew, thank you for your caring nature, for your encouraging nature, for your pastoral sensitivity, for your reliability. And to Mark. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Thank you for your, I suppose we could call it, enthusiasm. <laughs> Thank you for your preaching. Not as we don't <laughs> say thank you for Andrew's preaching as well. But the way that you unpack the scriptures and delve deeply but to both of you really thank you both for your humility in following Jesus' example it was only this afternoon in a previous service um, where we sang the servant king and I think for both of you You've been servants in many ways, first of all to Christ, to this circuit, to these people in this room and many other rooms. You've both contributed in particular to the development of really what is still a new circuit. And over the years you've been instrumental in developing and challenging us in our strategy 
and our uh, development as a circuit. You both have had uh, been involved with uh, challenging people, challenging people to uh, and encouraging perhaps local preachers, worship leaders, many people who already both I think have mentioned it, even what we might call ministerial candidates now. You've already talked about that. And what gladdens my heart is that you've both got a heart for the World Church. And I thought we weren't going to mention the YMCA in free time. (laughs) (laughs) Both South India, as you've mentioned, and Sierra Leone, of course. I'll just tell, I'll just finish with one story. Um, and if you were at the circuit meeting in this very room not all that long ago, uh, I apologise because uh, you've already heard it before. I remember being in a meeting here, a fairly challenging meeting, shall we say, and at the end people had disappeared. And uh, I think myself and Gillian Ferris were washing up. And we came back into this room to find, to find the Reverend Mark Slaney moving the furniture and the Reverend Andrew Webb with the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> They're servants of this church, but in particular of Christ. So you go with our thanks, our prayers, and... Probably when you've been packing boxes. Have you started packing boxes yet? No. (laughs) The things they can't take with you can't be put into boxes. Like the memories of what's gone on here and in other places. Like the joys you've celebrated together with people here and in other places. For people who have been encouraged and for life moments shared. So again, as I said, you go with our grateful thanks, our prayers. And if Andrew and Mark would like to come up here, we've got some little gifts for you. Uh, no. And Gillian's going to join us. So first of all, from the um, circuit leadership team, darling. Thank you. Thank you. And from the circuit as a whole, um, in an amount of money that will enable you to buy something that will remind you of this place, but to people, well, no, you might not want to be reminded. <laughs> How could we forget? Well, but something that we, you would uh, appreciate more than if we bought you something. So, there we are. I thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And then just a token of uh, our appreciation to, 
for being far tall. The Preston Ribble Circuit. It will remind you of the Preston Ribble Circuit. Thank you very much. Thank you. Gillian's, uh, in fact, you can go and sit down. Oh, thank, yes, you. thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Now, the risk, uh, the risk of sounding patronising and sexist, and I don't know what else, if I said the phrase, behind every good man, you'd be able to complete that saying, wouldn't you? <laughs> so, I'd just like Sarah and Rachel to come and join us, if you can. Because we know it's a, a team ministry, really. And my two beautiful assistants will come forward. That's sexist, and, uh, isn't it? I know. But, but just as a, a token of our appreciation to you both, please accept these gifts from us all. to a time of prayer, prayers of leaving, letting go and sending. We pray for Andrew and Mark, we pray for Yorkshire, we definitely, <laughs> definitely pray for Scotland. <laughs> Let us pray. As we are together today, we acknowledge the everlasting presence of God, who is with us who understands the goodbye we experience mingled with the excitement for what is to come. God of our life's journeys, we gather here to celebrate the goodness of ministry and ask your blessing on Mark and Andrew as they continue on the road of life. May the love that is in our hearts be a bond that unites us forever, wherever we may be. We pause for quiet reflection. We remember the times that Mark and Andrew have shared with us over the years. So, Lord, we recall the pastoral visits, the life events shared, the messages, the teachings, the promptings, the challenges, the laughter, the tears, the beers, and the brownies, and the rest. Andrew and Mark, as you journey onward, may you always remember 
our love and appreciation for your ministry remains. As you meet the poor, the pained and the stranger, may you see in each one the face of Christ. As you walk through the good times and the hard times, may you never lose sight of the shelter of God's loving arms. Lord, we praise you, God of the journey, for Andrew and Mark. We entrust them into your loving care. Knowing that you are always the faithful traveller and companion on the way. Shelter them and protect them from all harm and useless anxiety. And may the future be full of many enriching and transforming moments. So that they have stories to tell and energy to really live. Andrew and Mark, we pray for the communities that will receive you for a gracious welcome, a generosity of spirit, and a genuine care. Deep peace of the running wave to you, deep peace of the flowing air to you, deep peace of the quiet earth, deep peace of the shining stars, deep peace of the sun of peace, now and forevermore. Amen. We're going to sing together, The Lord's My Shepherd.
we now come before the Lord with our prayers for others. Let us pray. Father God, we bring before you all those who we love, those who we struggle to love, and those who we have failed to love. We ask for your blessing upon all people, every nation, colour and creed, and for all those who suffer due to man's inhumanity to man, natural disasters, breakdown of relationships, illness, or loss of loved ones. And Father, as we are gathered here this evening as your people, we continue to pray for Andrew and Sarah, Mark and Rachel and their families. We pray for the friends who they are leaving behind, and for those new friends who they are yet to meet, and for the colleagues and church communities who are sad to see them go, and for all the new relationships which they will enjoy in their future ministries. Lord, we pray for our circuit, and for all those church communities facing change, for our circuit staff team, both lay and ordained, and for our circuit leadership team. And Father, we pray for Jane as she takes up the mantle of circuit superintendent. We pray for all the decisions and challenges which they will face in the coming year. And we ask for your blessing also on the Reverends Janet and Karen, who will soon to be an integral part of our circuit. Lord, grant them all courage, strength and integrity in all that they do as they continue your work. And may we all bear witness to your all-encompassing love, using all our gifts and talents in your name and in your service. And we ask now, Lord, that you be close to each one of us. Turn our fears and trepidation into anticipation and excitement. Our sadness into joy and help us to leave the past behind and look to the future with you. This we ask through our Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. During our closing hymn, there will be an offering for the training fund. And we sing now hymn number 673, Will You Come and Follow Me? <laughs>